Chapter Two of the Randolphs by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: Practicing. The Randolph kitchen was an uncomfortable place on a warm summer morning, such as this one on which Maria was bound by her promise to commence life on the Golden Rule system. I think you could hardly have found a harder place for her to commence in, or for that matter, a harder morning. It was warm and it was also cloudy and damp and lifeless. I don't know a meaner morning than that. Sticky, Maria called it, and I think that just describes it. Kitchens are not, at their best, inviting places in June weather, but there is a difference between them. Maria said that theirs was one of those that were different. It wasn't possible to make a direct draft through the room, so of course in decently warm weather it was a hot place. Helen was trying to heat dishwater and cook dinner and iron her black lawn. Maria was washing, and the boiler and the flat irons were in a constant push at each other. It was this wash boiler that was to furnish the first illustration of Maria's new rule of life. As she gave the irons a shove out of her way, she opened her mouth to speak, and these were the words that just trembled on her lips. Helen, do keep those irons out of my way. What is the use of pushing them so far forward? You won't want them in an age. You are not through with the dishes yet, and won't be till noon. You can see the mood that she was in, when such simple things as flat irons could call forth such a torrent of words. Her mood wasn't a good one. I may as well tell you that she had no native good humor with which to commence the battle. Nothing very special had happened, but I assure you it doesn't need anything very special on a warm June day to make a person of Maria Randolph's temperament uncomfortable. An uncongenial atmosphere and unpleasant employment are all sufficient. Those words were on her lips, but they were stayed. Another sentence came to the surface. That old one, Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. It is a wonderful sentence. It occurred to Maria just then that it was. The words sounded solemn even in her thoughts. If there's anything I hate, she told herself, it is to have someone forever poking irons out of the way when I have put them in a good place to heat. It puts me all out of sorts. I don't suppose Helen likes it any better than I do, but she doesn't need them yet for hours. However, I suppose she thinks she does, and for the matter of that the boiler is really well enough off, without being pushed just on a square with the covers. Saying which, she carefully restored the irons to their place, and pushed the boiler a little one side, then went back to her washing in a complacent mood. "'It isn't a very lofty beginning,' she said, "'but it is a beginning. That isn't a bad rule to work by. I wonder I haven't commenced before.' It did not have the marked effect on Helen that the girl at the washtub seemed to think it ought to have. Maria watched her closely when she went to the stove, and it was certainly not inspiring to discover that she did not seem to bestow a thought or glance on the position of the irons. Maria rubbed on with a doleful face and a dim idea that it wasn't worth while to pay any attention to the golden rule unless one could be appreciated. As for Helen, her face always looked doleful during these days. She was utterly out of sympathy with the washing and ironing that were being done, 
for Maria had stoutly adhered to her determination to take in washing, adhered to it in spite of strong opposition. "'We are not reduced to beggary yet,' Helen had said scornfully. "'As to that,' Maria would reply, "'I don't know whether we are or not. At least I don't know how soon we should be if I hadn't moral courage enough to avert it, or physical courage. I guess it is that which is needed after all.' So she washed and ironed for the streetcar drivers exactly as she had planned to do. They had few clothes to spare for the wash, but it must have been a delight to them to see the smoothness and whiteness of those few. Maria took great pains with them for two reasons. One, because she liked to hear Tom tell of their exclamations of delight, and the other, that she had a habit of doing well what she did at all. This new way of earning money was very helpful, and added not a little to the comfort of the invalid who was slipping away from them in such a quiet fashion. But it had its disagreeable features. There were those even of her few friends who chose to utterly ignore Maria because of this new development. Such a low thing to do, they said. It showed a tendency to tastes which they did not suspect in her. And though Maria affected to care nothing at all about such people, and though she really did care as little as any one could, still it left a sore spot. Sometimes it took all her resolution and a fond remembrance of how much her father enjoyed the oranges and strawberries to keep her heart in the work. There was a boiler full of clothes on the stove, and she seated herself on the steps to wait for them, fanning her heated face violently with her apron the while. It was still early in the day, but she was tired. This young woman was working rather beyond her strength during these days, but she did not know it, and it vexed her to feel such a weariness creeping over her so early in her day's work. "'Great sense in being tired because I have rubbed a boiler full of clothes out,' she grumbled to herself. "'That would do for some fine lady. I need more work of some kind. I must be growing lazy.' An unusual clatter among the dishes just then caused her to look around. Helen had been baking bread and cookies, and had left the dishes until the oven work was done. Now she had an army of them piled up before her, drained and waiting for the cloth to do its duty. And she stood at the stove pushing on the large dishpan to reheat the water while she rubbed the knives. As she pushed it on with one hand she clasped her side with the other, and sighed. "'Whatsoever ye would,' said that persistent voice in Maria's ear. "'Fiddlesticks,' she answered it. "'It is great things to wash up a few dishes. What if she had been rubbing clothes for an hour?' "'Do ye even so,' said the voice. "'Well, I shan't do it,' Maria said, but in two minutes more she sprang up. "'I'll wipe those dishes, Helen, while I'm waiting,' she said. "'Have you the sideache again this morning?' Now it is a strange state of things to exist between two sisters when such an action as this can awaken surprise. Nevertheless, it existed between these two, and Helen was very much surprised, not at the offer to do her work, for Maria was not one to shirk work, but at the tone of kindly sympathy and inquiry. For this was a very unusual thing for Maria, and it was not because she was heartless and unsympathetic, it was simply because she was by nature blunt and outspoken, and didn't know how to express what she felt. 
and also it was because Helen had a pleasant manner of repelling sympathy of all sorts. On this occasion she looked her surprise, but with her voice said, My side always aches. You needn't wipe the dishes. You will be telling that you had to do your work and mine too if you do. Though, for the matter of that, I don't see why the dishes are any more my work than yours, only that you choose to employ yourself on other people's work and neglect your own. Maria's red cheeks grew redder. Am I in the habit of saying that I have to do your work? she said, that you should talk in this silly way? I wish you would show a little more sense, Helen. You know as well as I do that we are poor, and that I don't wash and iron clothes for Tom, Dick, and Harry for my own amusement, but because I did not know what else to do. And I'm sure you can see for yourself that father would have to go without even his medicine if I did not earn it. And the least you can do certainly is to help with the housework, and give me a chance to do what I can." Of course, Helen said, I ought to remember that I am working for my living. It is hard for me to realize that I am dependent when I remember what my own home was, but I ought to be able by this time when such pains are taken to keep the fact constantly before me. Now I suppose you realize that all this was not helpful nor inspiriting. Oh, fiddlesticks, was all that Maria said, and she wiped the dishes, every one of them, and put them away, but she slammed them most unmercifully, and thumped them to the shelves as though they had been made of pewter. On the whole she went back to her washing with a feeling that the golden rule was a good deal of a humbug, producing hard work and no pay. You will be amused with the manner in which it next confronted her. It was when she was taking in the clothes after dinner. By dint of pushing her tubs away out into the piazza, and shutting the door communicating with the kitchen, and working very fast and hard, she had contrived to forget all about it for some hours, and it was not until she met Tom at dinner that her promise flashed over her again. It was growing to be an irksome promise. She was surprised to feel that she resented the surveillance of even her own thoughts over her actions so it was with a frown on her face that she gave up her pie to grace because there was not enough to go around not that pie was a particular favorite of hers or that it ever made much difference to her what she ate or did not eat but because it was so pokey to have to think about such a silly little matter as that i'm all mixed up besides she said to herself i'm sure i don't want her to give her pie up to me I would quite as soon she would eat it for herself. If people would only be good-natured and accommodating, they might eat all the pie there is in the world, and I would eat chips. Then she laughed at the still greater confusion of her ideas. Here was she requiring people to be good-natured. Then, of course, according to that tiresome precept, she should be so herself, and she never felt in worse humor nor more inclined to indulge it in her life so she slipped from the table as soon as she could and went back to the wash the shape which her mentor took on the clothesline was dick norton's shirt what a shirt it was to be sure patched and torn again and buttonless and frayed at the edges worth while to pay money to get such a shirt as that washed she said giving it an unnecessarily hard twitch to get it down and then she paused in absolute dismay Suppose for a moment that she were Dick Norton, 
and had just this shirt and one other like it in the wide world, what a blessed thing it would be if someone should mend it neatly and restore missing buttons. Wouldn't she be an idiot not to like that? Well then, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. But dear me, she said irritably, where would this thing lead to? I can't mend shirts for all creation. I suppose they would all like some new shirts. I'm sure I would if I were in their place. According to Tom's notion, I ought to set about making some right away. This, of course, was only a vent for her vexation, for she knew very well that even the golden rule did not reach beyond the reasonable possibilities of a person's life. It ended, however, in her sitting down, while the irons heated, and Helen stirred a gingerbread for tea, to the mending of the old shirt. "'Do you mend old clothes for a living as well as wash them?' that lady said, with a contemptuous glance at the said shirt. Maria laughed. The queerness of her position was helping to make her good-natured. "'No,' she said, "'I'm doing this for the love of it, or the pity of it.' Did you ever see such a forlorn shirt for a man to wear? I have kept saying, what if it were Tom's? Helen sniffed scornfully. How remarkably good you are growing! It is positively becoming serious. Which of those worthy car drivers does that garment belong to? I really ought to be congratulated on the brilliant prospects of my sister. This shaft was too utterly foolish and pointless to disturb Maria. She only laughed good-naturedly. This shirt is Dick Norton's, and he is a good-natured fellow who takes Tom's place whenever he can. I owe him a good turn on that account, she said, as she threaded her needle and set to work with energy. Besides, Helen, there is no telling what may grow out of it. He has decidedly sharp, bright eyes. I shouldn't wonder if he were a rich man some day. Then what may he not give me for mending his shirt? You see, I am looking out for the future. Nothing like being prudent. Mrs. Monroe stirred violently at her gingerbread for some minutes without speaking. Then she said, with one of her heavy sighs, It is true enough that there is no telling what strange changes may come. No one certainly ought to realize it more than I. What do you suppose poor Horace would say if he could see me now? Any reference to poor Horace always served to put Maria in ill-humour. It is so dreadful to listen to her, and reflect that, perhaps, everything might have been different if she had done right. This the younger sister would say to Tom, when he was exhorting her to patience. On this occasion she with difficulty kept her tongue from doing evil, and split one of Dick's few buttons with her needle in the effort to be controlled. The next episode was a ring at the doorbell. "'My patience,' Helen said. "'Who can that be so early in the afternoon? It isn't time for the doctor. Maria, you will have to go, for I look like a fright.' "'I,' said Maria, in real dismay, "'why, Helen, do you remember that I am washing? I'm sure if you rub the flour from your face and untie your apron, you will look well enough, but I am really not presentable.' "'Well, then, they will have to ring whoever they are.' This Mrs. Monroe said in a very decided tone. "'If you will persist in doing washing as late in the week as Thursday, when you might be dressed and ready to receive company, I think you ought to take the consequences. It is different with me. 
I have to bake when we get out of bread, whether it is in the first of the week or the last. But I certainly am not going to the door, not if they ring all night, she said, as another violent peal showed the anxiety of somebody to make an entrance. It ended, as those discussions generally did, in Maria unpinning her dress and letting it down and drawing down her sleeves. But she said as she closed the kitchen door, You are the most unselfish and accommodating sister that was ever born. In the hall she added, There, that was after the golden rule pattern, I am sure. People like to be complimented. How utterly tired I am of that verse. I wonder what Tom has done today by way of living up to it. I hope he hasn't had such a horrid time as I have. There was a good deal of bustle in the hall, and banging of trunks and eager talking. It penetrated even to the distant kitchen, and made Helen say, Who can have come? Dear me, I hope no company. Think of having to cook for company. And then, as the voices were evidently nearing the kitchen, she slipped into the pantry and shut the door. End of chapter 2